This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 19, Episode 9. This is Writing Excuses, Rituals, Rites, and Traditions. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Erin. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Fonda. I'm Mahatab. And we are going to talk today about tradition. We're going to be talking about what happens when you take beliefs in a world and make them tangible by turning them into practices. This happens in our real world, and it often happens in our fiction. And I'm wondering, how do y'all do that? Have you done it? Are you interested in doing it? How do you tackle it? You know, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it is definitely a very important, um, I would say, a point for world building, because that is how people, like, first of all, you know, when you develop rites or any kind of rituals, which is, and I, I'm talking about experience, which is what I did for my uh, novel, Valley of the Rats, um, I built up these traditions and these rites that the people in the village go through. And that was how I actually discovered a little bit more about my people. It's what they believe. It makes them a little bit more real. And it was uh, an aspect of world building, which made it really interesting. Yeah. Same. I love incorporating rituals, rites, and traditions into my world building. If you think about our own daily lives, we go through the world performing a whole series of rituals, rites, and traditions, many of which we're somewhat unconscious of, right? Everything from our day-to-day practices of, you know, holding the door open for another person to the order in, you know, which your family members talk when they're gathered together to big scale traditions like our holidays and, you know, our, our uh, societal um, values and principles, like those all feed so much into our day-to-day lives that to the extent that we can incorporate them into our fiction, it will make our fictional worlds that much more believable, that much more realistic, and that much more vibrant and tangible. Yeah, one of my clients once told me, uh, Kate Dollahide said that the three things you need to define a culture are births, weddings, and funerals. And if you have those three points of a person's life, you have a strong understanding of what makes that culture work. Because when I think about world building, I think less about the material, physical things that make up that world and more about what are the rules that define the society, right? What's important to people? What are the taboos that you can't break? And so those three points of how do we treat a new life? How do we celebrate people coming together? Then how do we uh, honor a loss? I think are the things that we really communicate to the audience. This is what our characters value. This is what they aspire to. And this is what they're afraid of. And I'm curious, does it come that way for all of you? Like, is it something where you decide, here's the value, here's the culture, I'm going to create this tradition or ritual? Or are you like, I want to make this really cool ritual, I will figure out the culture that would make it happen? Is it always the same way for you or one or the other? I normally, because a lot of my stories have been set in India, I take that, you know, the culture that currently exists as the starting point, but then I will try and add, an, you know, a few fantasy elements or I'll try and switch it around a bit, uh, go against people's norms of beliefs and 
just try and make it a little bit more interesting. And, you know, because I love scary stories and horror, I will add a horror element to it as well, which is most people are not going to. But the main thing is that I want some kind of a reaction from the reader. So I will take something that's existing and then I try and tweak it. And, you know, and, and I think sometimes, you know what, when you when you take something existing and tweak it, not only are you showing differences between what people believe, but sometimes you can even show similarities between different cultures or different beliefs or tries and, and different people. So it's a good way to play with things and play with the character and the world. And I love doing that. I start with the premise of my story world, which for me involves some speculative element. And then I go through the thought exercise of what are the implications that that entails for the society and for the individuals that navigate that world. So the example of the Greenbone Saga, I had a coded East Asian society, but there's a speculative element that doesn't exist in our world, which is this magic jade that confers powers. And so an entire society has been developed around this one resource and there's a whole culture um, that um, is grounded around the practices and traditions and beliefs surrounding this speculative element that I've introduced into the world. So I couldn't just go and wholesale take an East Asian culture and then transplant it into my story world. I had to create this, um, this hybridized world where I was cueing certain rites and rituals and traditions that readers would pick up on as being East Asian in origin, but then just weaving it together with my own imagination based around what, what kind of world I wanted to create around the speculative element. Um, and the more that you can get down to that micro level of even things like the idioms, the sayings that people have, the day-to-day um, you know, interactions that they have around the speculative element and the rich religious aspects, the spiritual aspects, the, the sort of um, social aspects. Hopefully, if I've done my job right, it will feel like a very grounded place that's been built from um, sort of starting principles. I feel like you've hit on two really, really exciting things. One is, I think, a question people often have when they're working from something that is real. You know, they're working from a real culture is, you know, what can you take and what can you not take? Um, this is something that I've thought about. I've used um, rituals that come from basically conjure like folk magic that come from like a black American folk magic tradition. And I don't want to depict closed practices, which are basically practices only meant rituals and rites that are only meant to be done by the group themselves. If you're not in the group, like, don't do it, and you'll know if you are. Um, and I think, number one, I don't want to be disrespectful. Number two, I actually don't want a bunch of, bunch of folk magic practitioners mad at me. They will, like, you know, that's not a good group to have on your bad side. Um, and so I think that is something that I thought about is what is the essence of what's going to. And I think that's what you're talking about. What is the core value that is underlies that tradition? What is the thing that that tradition is meant to do? Or what was it originally developed to do? And then how can I develop it in a different way? Mm -hmm. What if this same objective was expressed differently? What if it had a different practice, but the same underlying goal? And so I think a lot about that in like trying to avoid 
doing things that just seem like I'm kind of using somebody else's close practices, or as I like to say it sometimes, dipping my quill in somebody's blood, which is not a good thing unless that's what your story is about. That is such an evocative image. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I think one thing that uh, we must remember whenever you're, do, whenever you're writing something like this is be respectful. Like, make sure that if, you know, one, there is no misappropriation of someone else's traditions or practices, uh, use your own something that you have, but whatever you change it into, whatever you tweak it into, make sure that it's respectful. If there is a fantasy element or a speculative element to it, that's fine. But, you know, try to make sure that you're not offending anyone by just making it so egregious that it's like, it, it's wow, but it's really, really bad. So... Yeah, just just respect. Keep that in mind. I think one of the things that can really help there is, you know, especially in fiction, we're seeing these rites and rituals and traditions through an individual's perspective. And individuals have an imperfect understanding of the traditions that they're embedded in, right? Nobody fully understands why it is that we do this ritual on this day or why we honor this tradition in this way. And so having a character that is resistant to it or doesn't quite understand it or is trying to understand it, I think are great ways to build a little bit of a buffer between, um, you know, the, the culture that you are referencing, that, that blood that you're dipping your quill in, and what's actually on the page. When you ground it in someone's specific experience, I think that does a lot to add that texture, add that, that subjectivity that makes it feel less like you're just picking something up wholesale from someone else's culture, even from your own culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so just remember that as people are experiencing all these things that we're talking about, you're writing it through characters. You're writing through individuals embedded in that culture. And I don't know, my experience is a lot of like trying to understand how my culture works, both as an American and, you know, coming with my parents coming from Korea. There's like all these different things that I'm trying to puzzle out all the time and try to get them to fit together. And so I think letting that be felt in how your characters experience these moments can be a really thrilling way to go about it. One of the things I love about incorporating rituals, rites, and traditions in fiction, in world building, is that they do so much heavy lifting for you. You don't need to have pages of exposition when you can show your characters living their day-to-day -day lives and going through the traditions of their society. That's, it just provides this natural in where you can very seamlessly include the exposition that you need to. For example, if I was to write a story set in the United States of America and it was for an extraterrestrial audience, Rather than explaining the origin of this country and how it came to be and et cetera, et cetera, I could have my characters uh, celebrate the 4th of July. There's an automatic in for me to, through the traditions of the society, give a bit of background on where this, the origins of the society and how people celebrate it. And so think about that when you are doing your world building is can you have as much as possible these grounded day-to-day -day experiences of your characters that give you this automatic in where you don't have to make an awkward cut to explain something about your world. Which is a perfect time for a tradition of our own, which is to pause so that we can have our little break. And so traditionally, this would be the time for the thing of the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our thing of the week is a debut fantasy novel called Shanghai Immortal by A.Y. Chow. It is a very action-packed, funny book that takes place in a Chinese underworld that resembles 1920s Shanghai. And I especially recommend the audiobook that was narrated by Mei Mei McLeod. The reason why I've chosen this as the book of the week is because it is a great example of how one author took rituals, rites, and traditions from our own world and shaped it for a fantasy world. For example, um, in our world, in Chinese tradition, there is the uh, ritual of burning offerings for ancestors. And in, in, uh, Chi- in Shanghai Immortal, um, some of these offerings show up in the underworld in very unexpected ways. So like the lucky root joss roosters that get burned in our world end up just overpopulating the underworld. <laughs> and there are roosters running amok everywhere and it is a disaster. Shanghai Immortal by A.Y. Chow. Now that we're back from the break, I'm going to break from tradition a little bit. Um, And actually, we're going to do a quick wrap-up section uh, because we are on a ship right now, and they are telling us that they want this room for secret rituals of their own. So if you we can go down, starting from Dongwon, what is one thing that if you wish people knew when they were writing rites or rituals or traditions, one takeaway, what would it be? You stumped me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the thing that I wish people would really bring to it um, is really showing how communities come together. I think these are the opportunities to make your characters feel embedded in a specific place and a specific group of people. Oftentimes, when we see these scenes, it feels very individualistic. We're so focused on that person's emotional experience going through it. But a thing that I often feel is missing in stories is a greater sense of a wider cast of characters even if we're not seeing them all as individual POVs, that feeling of community, that feeling of connection, I think these these ritual moments are such an ideal place to get that in. And oftentimes people can be very focused on the isolating experience of the character in those moments. I would say that remember that at its core, rituals, rites, and traditions reflect how people relate to the world, to the community, and to each other. So... When you incorporate them into your fiction, they are an incredible opportunity to not just world build um, on a macro level, but also on a micro level and weave in really tangible details like food. Food is a part of so many of our rites and rituals and traditions. Um, dress. Are there, is there special dress associated with you know, certain occasions um, and traditions in your society? Money, uh, entertainment. So many of your world building blocks can be put together through the lens of the rites, rituals, and traditions of your fictional world. What I would say is try, and the first time that you're writing it, you may not know how many or what kinds of rites or rituals or traditions you want to. But I think during the revision period is when you really need to figure out if you have too many strands, too many things going on, how you can roll a couple of things into one another and deepen your plot and deepen some of the things that you put in there rather than widen it. And just give it some, like I would say, during the revision process, 
go for depth and really work those those traditions out or rituals out or whatever it is that you want to work on, but narrow them down and and just really work them out. I hope I'm making myself clear. <laughs> you are. Um, and what I would say is to remember that rituals and traditions are not just things that other people have. I think sometimes we can think of rituals as that is a different culture has this ritual or tradition, but I'm just doing things because I am. But there are so many traditions that we have, like holding the door open or moving to the other side of the elevator or even blowing out the candles on a birthday cake is a ritual that exists in birthday celebrations in America that may not exist everywhere. And with that, I have the homework for you, which is to pick a ritual or tradition that you are accustomed to or familiar with and make it the center of a fictional scene. You can change its meaning, you can change its impact, but keep the actual action of the ritual or tradition the same. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Hey, writer. Have you sold a short story or finished your first novel? Let us know. We love hearing about how you've applied the stuff we've been talking about to craft your own success stories. Use the hashtag WXSuccess on social media or drop us a line at success at writingexcuses.com. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.